So the Bible reading today, Acts 8, 1 to 25. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practised sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is the divine power, known as the great power. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptised, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptised, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptised into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart, for I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. When they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel into many Samaritan villages. Thanks, Rhonda. Interesting passage. Uh, let's ask God to help us understand it as we uh, look at it together today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do give you great thanks for your word. We thank you for this story that we have in Acts. And Lord, we pray that as we look at it together, that uh, you'll help us to understand uh, that by your spirit, you will guide us and direct us. And Lord, that we may come out of it, not just understanding this passage, but challenged to live by what you're saying to us through it, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, open them up again. You will see them a little bit on the overhead, but I'm going to jump a little bit through the passage again. Uh, so you're going to need to be able to follow along with me. Uh, the reason we've got to do that is to try and pull it all together so that you understand what the passage is about. On the back of your service sheet, you'll see there's an outline too. 
And that might be helpful as well. That just helps you give you a couple of points to sort of keep you as we go through. Well, I wonder if you've heard the story about two men who are two shoe salesmen who went to a South Seas island to set up a shop and sell shoes. After a month, they both wrote home uh, to their respective families about what was happening. One of them said this. It says, business is a failure. No one wears shoes. The other one said, business is great. No one wears shoes yet. <laughs> two views. Two people. Two way to see people. How do you view people? As Christians, how do you view people who don't believe? I think we've tended to have the view that when we see people who don't believe or we know people don't believe, we call them the word or non-Christian is something that we say. And I actually think that that's not a helpful term because that almost sets up an us and them mentality, doesn't it? But maybe we should be viewing them like the shoe salesman as not yet Christians. That then it's not an us and them situation, but there's a sense of a bridge, isn't it? We're actually reaching out to them. They're people that we want to see and want to know. An opportunity to reach out to them with the bridge of life. You see, I think that's what Acts is all about. Acts is about not seeing people over there as someone separate, but people as who we are to take the bridge of life to, that we are to take Jesus to. You see, I think this passage that we have today is teaching us to reach out, reach out with Jesus. And this passage today uh, has lots in it, uh, but I want you to make sure that you don't miss the one amazing miracle in this passage. Keep an eye out for it. Hopefully I'll highlight it for you. But look for the one big miracle. There's a number of miracles in there. There's a couple of confusing bits. There's a couple of parts in there you think, what on earth is going on there? But don't miss the one big miracle because it has a lot to do with reaching out and crossing barriers. You see, it's about reaching out to the world around us and seeing people out there as Jesus sees them. People who have souls who need to be saved. So let's look at this passage together. As I said before, open up your Bibles, look at it. If it's up on the screen, look at it there too. I've broken this section up into three parts. Uh, if you've got your outline, you'll see I've got missionary movement, how the message is moving. I've got missionary mindset, that is the people that are involved and how they see things. And the missionary mandate, what does it call you and us, you and me, you and us, that's a terrible way of saying it, you and I to do. What does it call us to do? Well, as we go through it, as again I said, keep an eye out for the big miracle of this passage. Well, where are we? We're in chapter 8 of Acts. And what we've noticed over the past seven weeks is what started out with a handful of blokes and a couple of women uh, sitting around learning about Jesus has grown into a huge movement. It's into a movement of great proportions. People say that by Acts 8, there's probably now 30,000 Christians 30,000 Christians in Jerusalem and Judea in that area. And as you see in chapter 1, verse 1 there, this has caused a huge problem, hasn't it? Look, and Saul was there giving approval to this, his death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church of Jerusalem. People had found out about this. This had been a big movement. This is starting to impact not just a couple of people, but this is in, impacting the whole community, the whole area. And they're not happy about it, are they? Those that are in leadership are out there to persecute and send people away. And we see that there's a bloke there called Saul who actually becomes Paul of the New Testament. And we're going to learn a lot more about him next week in chapter 9. But Saul was there. He was there when uh, Stephen was killed and he's there now 
trying to kill everyone in the church and break down the church. He's out there to wipe it out. But he can't destroy this movement. And notice that this is a movement. It's not an institution. This is not a little denomination set up and running around setting up buildings all over the place. Uh, They're not setting up committees over here and committees over there to run things and so forth. They're actually a movement. It's going forward. It's heading out. It's spreading out throughout the world. And who can remember what Jesus said back in chapter uh, chapter 1, verse 8, right back at the beginning when he set the program for the rest of Acts? What did he say that the disciples were to do? Yeah, go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to all the world and take the gospel. Well, so far in chapters 1 to 7, we've seen it go in Jerusalem and Judea. Now in chapter 8, we're about to see it go into Samaria. Look at verse 4. Those who'd been scattered preached the word wherever they went. What'd they do? Preach the word. They kept talking about Jesus. Remember that chocolate illustration last week from Lynn? You can't help having more chocolate. They couldn't help telling Jesus. They spoke about Jesus wherever they went. Look at verse 5. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed Christ there. Now, Philip was one of these administrators like Stephen. It's interesting, isn't it? We actually don't focus on the, on the apostles here. We're focusing on the administrators, the guys that were handing out food and sorting out things around the place. We've seen Stephen, he's been killed. We see Philip now going into Samaria and preaching the gospel. And look what he does. Verse 6, When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs that he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. He had signs and wonders, but what were they to focus them in on? What he said. That's what was most important. The message that he had was what was important. There were lots of amazing things happening, but it was his message that was bringing the greatest miracle. It was the message that was changing lives. What were the words about? Oh, nice weather we're having here today. Gee, this countryside in Samaria is great, isn't it, Lee? I love your mountains. Aren't they great mountains? No, he doesn't say that, does he? Have a look at what he says. What does he preach to them? In verses uh, 12, jump down to there. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptised. What was he talking about? Jesus. That's it. He was talking about Jesus and his kingdom. That if you trust and believe in Jesus, this world is not as good as it gets. That you can become part of his family, God's family, forever. Through Jesus' Jesus' death and resurrection, you can be friends with God. He's talking about Jesus and his kingdom. And what happens? Look at verse 13 and 14. Simon himself believed and was baptised and followed Philip everywhere, astonished by great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. Now don't miss it, because that is where the big miracle is. Samaria has accepted the word of God. Samaria. It's like saying Tasmania has accepted the word of God. South Australia has accepted the word of God. New South Wales has accepted the word of God. Evans Head has accepted the word of God. Wow! This is exciting stuff. And it's even more exciting because these Samarians, they were the pits to the Jews. They were like the little boy that spat on Michael. But the Jews were spitting on them. They were the pits. 
This is earth-shattering news for the Jews. This is something that they would never have possibly thought of. This is even worse than thinking that you can accept Queenslanders down in New South Wales. It's even worse than thinking that Hobartians and Launcestonians can get on well in Tassie. This is more like Muslims in Iraq welcoming in Western, Western Americans and saying, welcome in my home. That's how big this is. You see, this is like crossing the Great Divide. The Jews and the Samaritans were actually distantly related, but the Samaritans were the outcast relations. They were the black sheep relations. They were the ones with leprosy-type cousins that you don't want over and ever. They were the untouchable relations. They didn't want to have anything to do with them. But listen again to the words in verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God. That is huge. That is the big miracle of chapter 8. The missionary movement has now spread to the next level, to the next group. God's not just working with Jews now, he's working with Samaritans and on to the rest of the world. The fire of the movement of the gospel has just looped the big one big barrier. It's a racial barrier. It's a religious barrier. It's a geographical barrier and it's a social barrier that the good news of Jesus has gone across. Well, is this real? Could this be possible? Could the Samaritans really be part of God's family? Could they really come into it? Well... I reckon that's in the minds of the apostles. And that's, that's, I think, why they go up there. Because they have to actually see it for themselves. And I think it's the answer to why there is a very weird part of the Bible we're about to read. Did you see it? Look at verse 15 and 16, because this is weird. We don't hear of this anywhere else in the Bible. There's a similar example in chapter 19 of Acts, but it's, quite, it's still different to this. This is the first time and the only time we hear it. This is what happens. When they arrived, that's Peter and John, the apostles come up. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They'd simply been baptised into the name of the Lord Jesus. Now that's weird. If you go back to Acts chapter 2, verse 38, when you believe, you have the Spirit. When you go through the rest of the New Testament, when you believe, you have the Spirit. There's not a two-part system happening anywhere else in the Bible. This is the only place. It's weird. Why? Why is that the case? Well, some people have used this passage to break up and say, well, that's because there needs to be a second blessing of the Holy Spirit. You need to have something extra. Some people have used this passage to say, well, that's what happens at confirmation. You've got to have a bishop come in, lay their hands on you, then you have the spirit at that point in time. But I don't think that's there, is there? I don't see any of that there. Because I think why it's there is the fact that this is an amazing miracle. That this is the next stage in the movement of the gospel. You see, the gospel has been in Jerusalem. The gospel has been in Judea. I said before, there's probably 30,000 Jews now Christians. But now it's jumped into the unthinkable, the untouchable, into the Samaritans. 
This is new for the apostles. This is new for the gospel. How can we validate this? How can we say that this really is the case? Are they really incorporated into the God's family? What do the apostles do? They go up to confirm it. They go up to authenticate it. They go up to validate what's happening. So they come up. They see what's happening. They pray to God to pour out his spirit on these guys and they reach out and they touch them. They touch the untouchables. Now that is huge. That is huge in itself. Jews touching Samaritans. Be like you, touching your worst enemy. Touching someone in the gutter on the street. They reach out, they touch. And God pours out his spirit on them. God confirms their entry into the family. Now notice too that it's not actually the power of the apostles that gives the spirit either. Look at verse 20. We'll come back to this in a minute as well. Peter's talking about Simon here. Peter says there, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God. It's not the apostles that give the spirit. It's God's gift to give the spirit. So here... God gives the gift when the apostles are there. Why? To confirm that these guys are in. These guys are in the family. They're part of it. These people are united into the family of God. Once they are enemies, now they're family. It confirms it to them. I don't know whether many of you can remember when the war between East and West Germany got broken down. That was an amazing sight. Uh, been there for so many years, separated those two places. Family members were separated on either side of that wall. They couldn't speak to each other. They couldn't be near each other. But when the wall broke down, they were united. I can still remember pictures of people running across that wall to meet family members that they hadn't seen for years. This is this wall that's broken down here. The wall between Jews and Samaritans is broken down by the gospel, by Jesus. The Spirit confirms that to them. The Spirit confirms that and validates Philip's ministry. You see, Philip also had to show that his was validated by being on the foundation of the apostles. Why do the apostles turn up? He's there and it says, Yes, Philip, you're preaching the gospel. And you're preaching it because you're preaching the word. He is faithfully preaching the word of God. It's not the miracles that validate his ministry. It's the preaching of the word that validates his ministry. I think we need to take heed of that too, don't we? As we think about what are we building our church on? What is our main focus here as we work together? It's not tradition. That wasn't what Philip was on about, was it? It's not on miracles, healings or tongues. It's not whether they're present. It's not whether we have the right music that we're here, that we're present, that this makes this a church of God. What validates the ministry here is that we preach the word. That is what we need to be on about. That's when we talk about basing our ministry on the apostles, on the foundation of the apostles, is we're basing on the preaching of the word. And when we base it on the preaching of the word, real miracles will happen. Barriers between God and people will be broken down. Barriers between each other will be broken down. The fire of the movement of Acts will be amongst you and I. 
How exciting is that? The movement of Acts can be in the movement within us. So you see that it's not a process that is to set the norm here. This isn't how people are to be converted now. That's not, we're going to see a two-stage conversion Holy Spirit situation happening now. It's not the norm in any other part of the scripture, so it's not to be the norm for you and I. Here it was to show, to confirm, to validate that the good news of Jesus had crossed a huge barrier. On this passage we also see two people, don't we? And we see two people's different mindsets. We see Simon the sorcerer and we see Philip. And they're contrasted to each other in this passage. We see how Simon reacts, we see how Philip reacts. And we see complete, two completely different mindsets. Let's take a quick look at those two blokes. Notice Simon there. Simon's a bloke who wants to be where the action is. Look at verse 13. Simon himself believed and was baptised and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and the miracles that he saw. He was after the action. He wanted to see where things were being at. He wanted to be amongst it because that's what it was around him. Stephen, though, on the other hand, was a bloke who was seeking to go where God sent him. Look at verse 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria to proclaim Christ. He wouldn't go there any other reason unless God wanted him there. Look at verse 26. That's where you're going to need your Bibles because that's not up on the screen. In verse 26, we see that Philip, now an angel of the Lord, said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, can you imagine Philip? Here he is in Samaria. The whole town's being converted. There is a huge revival happening here, mate. Thousands of people being converted. And what does God say to him? No, nah, mate, you need to go to a little backwater back street over there down the road because I've got someone for you to meet. Notice the difference? Philip's after the action. He wants to see the bright lights. Sorry, Simon's after the action. He wants to see the bright lights. And what does Philip want? He wants to do what God wants him to do. Simon was seeking to turn the gift of God, of the Holy Spirit, into a commodity. Look at verses 18 and 19. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. He said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. He wanted to buy God's gift. He wanted God's power for himself. Philip wanted to do God's will. Simon wanted to control God's Spirit. Philip wanted to be controlled by God's Spirit. Do you see the contrast here between the two guys? Simon saw the Spirit as a source of power. How can I get more? How can I have more of this? I want it because I want to be able to use it. Philip sees the Spirit as a third person of the Trinity. And he says, how can he get more of me? See the difference between them? Simon wants to get the power. Philip says, I want him to have more of me. Are you a Simon or a Philip? I want to be where the action is, wanting to see the power, wanting to get more of the power. Or are you seeking to be where God wants you to be? Doing what God wants you to be doing. Controlled by the Spirit. Desiring for the Spirit to have more of you and for him to use you. You see, Philip is being controlled by the Spirit and he's been taken from an administrator 
to an evangelist. He trusted the Spirit and he was led by the Spirit and he spoke by the Spirit. And the Spirit can do that with you and I. Philip would have been just as scared as you and I. He probably would have even been more scared than you and I. He's actually gone into the people that hate him and told them about Jesus. There's, there's no sense of whether they will or won't hate him. They hate him already. But he goes in there. You and I can go amongst people who may not like us or even our perception of maybe them not liking us but tell them about Jesus because we have the Spirit within us to do that. When we're controlled by the Spirit, when we give ourselves to the Spirit and ask the Spirit to have more of us, then we'll go out and tell more people about Jesus because, you see, that's our missionary mandate to tell more people about Jesus. When we're overtaken by the Spirit, when we are driven out by the Spirit to tell others of Jesus, we will not stop talking about Jesus. We cannot stop talking about Jesus. If the Spirit is controlling us, then what's he want us to do? Tell people about Jesus. We will see that coincidence become opportunities to speak about Jesus, to witness about Jesus. We'll see that tragedy and heartache or discomfort can become opportunities for us to witness about Jesus. As the gospel of Jesus, through the spirit of Jesus, overtakes you and I, it will drive us to tell others about Jesus. I don't know whether you've noticed, but in the Old Testament, if you read the Old Testament, the movement of God is a centripetal force. A centripetal force is it drags things in. In the Old Testament... People are dragged into Jerusalem and into the temple. They're brought in. In the New Testament, it's centrifugal force. It drives people out into the world and into the community. It's not this sense of making them here. It's driving people out and out and out and out to take the good news everywhere. Because you see, God wants to win the world. Do you believe that? God wants to win the world. God wants to win Africa. God wants to win Islam. God wants to reach our native Aboriginal people. God wants Evans Head and its surrounding areas for him. And he will have them. Do you believe in gospel success? Do you believe that God's gospel cannot be stopped? Or are we fringing on the bit of thinking, oh, I don't know whether he can do that. Oh, I'm a bit scared whether he really got the power to overtake Islam. Oh, do, do I think that he really can get into Africa? Well, he can go through the message of that machine too, can he? <laughs> do you know that right at this very moment, there are more people being converted in Africa than there are in Australia today? You know, there are more people in the Muslim countries throughout the world coming to Jesus than you could possibly imagine. It's an amazing thing. God's gospel is powerful. It will overtake. You see, it changes our perspective on the world, doesn't it? Rather than look at people around us as non-Christians, look at them as not yet Christians. Let's not look at Muslims coming into our country as a threat. Let's see them as an opportunity for the hear the good news of Jesus.
let's not look at our neighbour next door as too hard, but as a divine positioning of God for you to share Jesus with them. You see, the gospel crosses barriers. It's crossed the divide between Jew and Samaritan. God wants us to cross barriers as well. He wants us to break down our prejudices, break down our racism, break down our fear of people and reach out to them with Jesus. That's what he wants us to do. Not be scared, but to take Jesus to them. Not to shut them out and write them off, but to reach out to them with the good news of Jesus. Because the only thing that will break down the barriers of peace between anyone in this world is Jesus. Nothing else will do it, guys. No political workings, no political scheming, no amount of power thrown on them, no amount of bombs thrown in there. It'll disseminate for a little while, but it'll rise up again. The only thing that brings peace to this world is Jesus. Because he makes us part of his family. And families love and care for each other and don't drive each other away. It's a tough call, isn't it? This really has to challenge where we're at and how we view people. You see, God used an administrator called Philip to start it all off. God can and will use you to keep that movement going. He will use you. How exciting is that? God will use you. How's God going to use you this week to cross barriers to bring the peace of Jesus Christ to someone around you? What conversation is he going to bring your way this week for you to speak to them about Jesus? Let's get ready for it. Let's get ready for it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, sometimes when we read your word, uh, we get a bit uncomfortable. Sometimes when we read your word, it really cuts us to the heart. It nails us with our prejudices, prejudices. it nails us with our racism. It nails us with our fears. But Lord, within that you bring us the grace, the grace of your Son, Jesus, the wonderful workings of your Spirit within us to change us into people who view this world the way that you view it. So we view this world as a place that needs to hear Jesus. When we look at people who are different to us, people who may scare us, people who may uh, seem completely outside of our understanding. But they are people that you want to know you, Lord. Your desire, Lord, is for people to come and know you. And your means for that is for us to tell them the word of the gospel, to tell them about Jesus, Lord. May we be like Philip, Lord. People who are governed and directed by your spirit, Lord people who are willing to be used more by you to tell more and more people about your wonderful Jesus, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amén.